You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past, the podcast that focuses on inspiring you to move forward from what's been holding you back in life. Each week, we talk with clinicians, coaches, mental health advocates, and those who've overcome tremendous odds and now use their journey to encourage you throughout yours. I'm Matt Pappas, Certified Coach and NLP Master Practitioner, alongside Joanne Suppressi, Author, Certified Coach, and Hypnotherapist. In addition to talking with amazing guests on the show, we share practical tips and insightful strategies that empower and encourage you to break free from anxiety, self-doubt, and the negative mindsets that keep you stuck. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Greetings, friend, and welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, we want to take a second and just thank a couple of incredible organizations. INLP Center, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. If you've ever considered becoming a coach or simply want more information on their programs, just head over to inlpcenter.org. And to Daily Recovery Support, Interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. And a special thank you to you. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and making us part of your weekly playlist. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider sharing the episode with one person who might find it helpful and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. That would be awesome, and we would definitely appreciate it. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by mental health comedian Frank King. Frank is a suicide prevention and postvention public speaker and trainer who turned a lifelong battle with depression into a keynote worth spreading. His mission is to end the stigma surrounding mental health by sharing his insights with anyone and everyone who will listen in an effort to start the conversation. Frank has thought about killing himself more times than he can count, and addresses his own trials and tribulations using a tool people from all around the world can relate to, and that's humor. Frank uses comedy and personal life lessons to help break the ice and start an engaging conversation among those who are struggling with mental and emotional stability. This act of faith helps those struggling to find a voice and express themselves, and he believes that where there is humor, there is hope. During our chat, Frank talks about his own struggles with chronic suicidality and major depressive disorder, how he got started as a comedian, and why he's so passionate about sharing his message. You'll learn how chronic suicidality affects nearly every aspect of daily life, even the most usual or everyday circumstances, and why the thought of taking suicide off the table can be the very thing that pushes someone over the edge to take their own life. All this and much more during our chat with the incredible Frank King, starting right now. So hey Frank, welcome to Beyond Your Past. It's Matt and Joanne. How are you, man? I am good. I am somewhere between Kodiak, Alaska, and Nome, Alaska. That is super cool. And I think, Joanne, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first person we've ever talked to who who was in Alaska at the time of the recording. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yes. I don't believe we've talked to anybody from Alaska. So this is super exciting that you're in Alaska right now. Yes, and probably the first person you ever talked to by satellite phone because I'm on the on a cruise boat somewhere out to sea. Ooh, that is definitely wow. 
I am, I'm a stand-up comedian by trade. I started stand-up comedy in December of 85. I hold the record, my lovely wife and I, for the longest non-stop comedy club road trip ever. 2,629 nights in a row non-stop with no home. That, that is exciting. an unbelievable record, man. <laughs> like, And I know you and I had met at the Mental Health Roundtable, which, of course, was uh, put in place by our good friends at Mental Health News Radio and Kristen Walker, which you and I are both have our shows on there. So it was super cool to meet you and um, several other podcasters on the network down there. So before we get started, why don't we give everybody a chance to, to meet you? So feel free to say hello and tell everybody exactly who the mental health comedian really is. I'm Frank King, K-I-N-G. I spell the last name because some, sometimes being a Southerner, people go, Kane? Frank Kane? No. <laughs> Frank King, K-I-N-G. Started my life as a, well, as an insurance agent straight out of college. Uh, I would rather open a vein than do that again. Um, five or six years in, became a stand-up comic, started going to open mics. I got laughed right away and thought, I'm going to do this for a living. I have no idea how. But I am. So I did that till um, about 95 when the comedy club thing, you know, the big comedy club, club boom busted and the clubs were closing faster than opening. And I made the jump. I got a clean act. So I made the jump from the bar room to the boardroom from club comedy to corporate comedy and did the what they call the rubber chicken circuit after dinner, after lunch, you know, usually entertaining in an awards banquet. And then with the recession in the uh, what, uh, 2000. Eight nine, I and my business fell off eighty percent overnight. Uh, people weren't willing to pay me just to come in and be funny. And I didn't have any content, any you know, any takeaways or learning objectives. My wife and I lost everything in a Chapter Seven bankruptcy, and I came close enough to killing myself. I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Spoiler alert: didn't pull the trigger. Uh, I said that line in a keynote recently. A friend of mine was in the audience, came up afterwards and said, "Hey, man." How come we didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, can you try to sound a little less disappointed? Uh, and from that point on, I began speaking on suicide prevention, oftentimes as a workplace health and safety issue for uh, you know the industries that have the highest rates of suicide, veterinary, dental, construction, physicians. Uh, also doing colleges. I do the NACA, National Association of Campus Activities Lecture Circuit. Three college students a day, every day, kill themselves. So it's a serious, serious epidemic. And that's that's kind of, and then I still do stand-up. I'm on a ship uh, out in the middle of, uh, I guess this is the Sea of Alaska. Uh, it's a 30-day cruise, which means it's old people and their parents. Uh, every night, same thing, we're dessert oxygen. And <laughs> that's kind of my story. <laughs> I dude, I, I remember I remember just listening to you talk. Um, you know, I mean I talked to you for a few minutes at the at the round table and just listening to you talk to everybody, it was I was just taken. I was I mean, you had me in in tears several times. And I think when you talk about such a sensitive subject, you know, that you do in your routines and in your and in your speaking and your training and whatnot, putting a comedy spin on it, I'm sure helps just an incredible amount of people. And I'm curious, and, and I'm sure you've heard this question a thousand times, how much of a negative response do you get from people who are just like, oh my God, dude, like, you know, you can't talk about suicide and depression and think it's funny. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure you get that quite a bit, but I'm curious as to maybe the ratio of, you know, people who really understand what your message is and where it's coming from versus those who just, you know, don't seem to enjoy it or get it or care for it. Well, actually, that, that particular question 
or challenge only comes up occasionally. And the we'll cover that in a second. The big question, the elephant in the audience's mind almost always is, now wait a minute, a comedian talking about depression and suicide, how does that work? So when I do a keynote or whatever, I put that to bed right away. I say, look, here's the deal. Comedian's job is and always has been since the time of the court jester to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. So I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often powerless in its grip. I believe where there's humor, there's hope. Laughter, there's life. Nobody dies laughing. And I said, I tell them, I, you know, depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I, at the ripe old age of four, found her. I'll spare you the details. If you go to YouTube and type in my name and TEDx talk, you'll find my first TED talk. I, I go through all that. And then the challenge of, you know, how, you know, can you make fun of depression and suicide? It's not funny, but there is humor. And here's the deal, Matt, in comedy. You can make fun of any group to which you belong. And I have two mental illnesses. One's called major depressive disorder, better known, I guess, colloquially as, as depression, and something far more rare, which is called chronic suicidality, which means for me and people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. My car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidality. So because I have two mental illnesses, I can get away with using humor to discuss the topics of depression, suicide, and mental illness, where somebody who is neuronormal, they would crucify him for uh, doing that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So while you're out there doing your comedy shows and all your talks, have you had people who came up to you afterwards and were like that you impacted in a positive way to actually help them work through their own suicidal tendencies? Yeah, pretty much every... Almost every keynote I've, or training I've ever done, at least one person or several persons comes up afterwards. Uh, oftentimes they have general questions about mental health, mental illness, um, you know, uh, on behalf of a family member or friend. But almost always someone comes up who has chronic suicidality. I, I was at a, I was at a um, dental conference. Dentists don't. The good news is dentists do not have the highest rate of suicide of any occupation. The bad news is they're still in the top 10. So I was there, and I told the story about putting a gun in my mouth. I told the story about chronic suicidality. And the meeting breaks up. Pretty much everybody's headed out the door, and there's a young woman walking toward me. And I realize she's crying. And when she gets to me, I can tell she's weeping silently. And I looked her in the eye, and I said, you have chronic suicidality, don't you? And she nodded her head. I said, you didn't know it had a name, she nods. I said, you thought you were some kind of freak, nods again. I said, well, do this for me. Do you have a therapist? Nod. When you get home, set an appointment, tell the therapist what you learned. For God's sake, don't tell him you heard it from a comedian. Tell him you Googled it. And about a week later, I got an email from her that said something on the order of, I believe I went to the dental conference specifically to meet you. You have changed my life, and I cannot say that about a lot of people. So fast forward, I'm in Billings, Montana in January. I'm standing outside a building on campus, uh, University of Montana Billings. I've just done my, my talk. 
and two young women came up afterwards, as they often always, almost always do. And I'm standing there, and it's snowing, and the kid is going to take me back to my hotel. is going to get the truck. Snowing, and, and it's dark, but there's a street light a little ways away, so I'm kind of in half light, and I'm watching the snow, thinking about all the people who've come up after my keynotes, people whose lives I may have steered just far enough off the course to suicide, they'll live you know, a normal life. And it hit me. I'm George Bailey. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I have been shown what people's lives would have been like if I had not been there to speak and intervene. So my second thought was, oh, God, I cannot kill myself now because I would take all those people with me. So, and then, of course, they would all pursue me through eternity. You couldn't wait a week. (laughs) So, yes, long answer to Short question. Yes, that I, apparently I have impacted people's lives. It's one of the most rewarding things about speaking on depression and suicide. By the way, people have asked me, is it therapeutic for you to talk about it out loud? Because not many people talk about it out loud. It is very therapeutic, starting the conversation like that and helping people. When was the first time that you actually realized that, you know, your comedy shows, you know, you being on stage, making light of all of this, uh, could actually impact people. Like, when did you first realize that? I was doing a national showcase for the. It's called National Association of Campus Activities (NACA). They've got a they got a circuit for comedians and jugglers and magicians. They also have a circuit for lecturers. And I was doing the national showcase, doing a little fifteen minutes showcase to hopefully get work at colleges. There are eight hundred kids in the audience, and a young young woman comes up afterwards. And she says, um, I want to thank you for your uh, showcase. And I said, you're welcome. She said, i got to tell you, though, it made me weep. And I said, how did it make you weep? She goes, well, you know the part of your story where you talk about your car broke down, you had three thoughts, get it fixed, buy a new one, or just kill yourself? She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know it had a name. I just thought I was some kind of freak. And... When I heard you say that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life that I am not alone, and I wept. That was the first time it occurred to me that that I was not only making a living, but also making a difference. That is incredible. So how did that actually make you feel like when you actually heard that? Well, again, it's very therapeutic. Uh, I realized yeah. I was on the right track that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. In the speaking business, there's an expression, the riches are in the niches. I, before that, mm-hmm. I, I'd been doing corporate comedy and I had a motivational, inspirational speech and a networking speech. And they're all good and they're fun and they're funny. But in, you know, it never really left a large impact on anyone in the audience. And I always wanted to make that difference. And so... And the thing about depression and suicide I discovered when I was putting my first TED Talk together was that people don't talk about it. But if you mention it, just merely mm-hmm. mention the words depression and suicide out loud, people tell you the most amazing things. Matter of fact, I was on a cruise right before I was going to do the TED Talk, and I couldn't find a place to sit for breakfast in the Lido buffet. And I saw a table for two, a woman alone. I, I point at the chair. She nods. I sit. She looks up. She goes, hey, are you the comedian? I go, hey, do you enjoy the comedy show? She goes, I did very much. I said, then I'm the comedian. She laughed. She goes, what would you have said if I told you, you know, I hated the comedy show? 
I look alike. I like the guy. Um, she asked me, and a lot of passengers do, is comedy all you do on cruise ships? I said, no, I'm a public speaker on land. And I said to her, can I brag for a second? I just nailed down my first TED Talk. She goes, I love the TED Talks. What's it about? Well, I'd had the conversation many times before this, so I thought I knew what was coming. So I said to her, depression and suicide, and started to count down in my head. Three, two, one. She goes, you know, I tried to kill myself twice. It was as, it was as if she had just been waiting for somebody to give her permission to give voice to her feelings and experiences surrounding depression and suicide. She said, once during college, I tried it, kind of half-hearted, not a big deal. After college, far more serious. I graduated from college. I graduated from medical school, had the knowledge, had the equipment. She said, I had the IV started in my ankle. I had the suicide cocktail in one hand, the syringe in the other, getting ready to load it up, and the phone rang. She's thinking, should I answer it? Yeah, I better answer it because it might be somebody who would get worried, come over and interrupt me. Picks up the phone, it's her 13-year-old son. She goes, I don't know if you heard something in my voice or had a premonition, but he said, mom, don't do anything. So I didn't. I didn't give up on the idea of suicide, but I decided not to do it that day because I was always afraid he would figure he could have said something or done something, you know, to, to keep me from dying by suicide, which the good news is there are things you can say, there are things you can do. I said, well, how old is he now? She said, he's 21. I said, does he know his phone call saved your life? She goes, no. How do you start that conversation? And that's when it hit me. That was going to be the overarching theme. My idea worth spreading at my first TEDx was start the conversation because silence kills. Yeah. And uh, for anybody who hasn't watched your TED talk, I'll be sure and link it in, in the show notes and in the blog post. And um, I heard that I heard you tell that story and it just, it always kind of gives me chills because you mentioned about how you live with chronic suicidality. And I'm curious, yeah, I mean, we have many people who listen to this podcast who have, who have family members who have taken their lives or, or they, of course, struggle with it themselves. And maybe if you can share a little bit about, you know, you mentioned about how uh, one, of the, one of the thoughts that is key in this is that it's not off the table. I just didn't do it today. And that's either because somebody talked you out of it or somebody called or somebody came over or, you know, you decided for some reason to just not do it today. But if you can share a little bit maybe about what it's like to just live with that mindset of always having it on the table. Well, it is actually uh, comforting. Uh, I heard somebody, one of our podcasters on this network, Mark, Dr. Mark Goulston, had a client who said to him one time, you know, if it weren't for my chronic suicidality, I would have killed myself a long time ago. It's like you're sitting in the exit row in the airplane by the window and you know that, you know, if things go horribly wrong, you have a way out. There's a show on Netflix called Afterlife starring Ricky Gervais. And in the second episode, and I believe either Ricky or one of his writers lived with mental illness because this is, these are not normal thoughts. Ricky says, Ricky's boss trying to cheer him up, and he tells him to stop. Look, I'm depressed because my wife is gone. I'm going to do this job and live this life until I can no longer do so, and then I'm going to kill myself. It's my superpower. Uh, and I thought, oh, dear God, somebody on that staff, that writing staff, has mental illness. In the next episode, two guys jump in with knives. They want his money. He says to them, what if I don't give it to you? They say, we'll kill you. He says, you know, for most people, that would be an inducement to hand you my wallet, but not me. Again, not a normal thought for a normal person. It's, it's, I have a TED talk called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. 
I realized when I was married to my first wife was, was a lovely woman right out of college selling insurance, which I hated. Um, she and I shouldn't have been together. So I was miserable and I was not going to open mic nights, which is where I thought I belonged. And I realized if I didn't do something different sooner rather than later, I was going to kill myself. And then it hit me. Wait a minute. I could divorce my wife, quit my insurance job, try comedy. If it works great. If it doesn't hell, I can still kill myself. So it's that it's, it's like my superpower. It's, if somebody was neuronormal in the same situation, married, miserable, job, miserable, not doing what they thought they should be doing, they could divorce their spouse, quit their job, try comedy. However, the next thought for them would be, yeah, but if it doesn't work, I will lose everything. Because of my suicidality, I had nothing to lose. I could try it. and If it didn't work out, I could still kill myself. And I've met several entertainers and a couple of entrepreneurs who had the very same thought process, unhappy doing what they're doing, not pursuing their dream, were going to kill themselves and thought, what the heck? Might as well go for it. I can still kill myself. So it's, it's, it's odd. Oh, and, and, uh, and by the way, suicide lost survivors, people who lose someone to suicide. I talked to a counselor who counsels suicide survivors. And oftentimes that survivor is depressed and thinking about suicide. And he doesn't take suicide as an option off the table for them because they often find it comforting knowing they could do it. He just sets it to one side and says, okay, let's just set that to one side. Let's not eliminate it. I'm not saying, you know, you can't do that, but let's set it aside for the time being and then work on the grief. So as long as it's an option and, and the reason I didn't pull the trigger when, when I, when the recession hit, I call my insurance agent, your insurance, life insurance has to be paid for 24 months before they will pay on a suicide. If you kill yourself in less than 24 months, then they pay nothing. So I called my insurance agent. Turned out I had the policy 22 months. So I could not kill myself. I refused to leave my wife brokenhearted and penniless, you know, destitute. I had two months to go before I could pull the trigger. And the thing that kept me alive was I knew at two months in a day I could pull the trigger. She'd get a million dollars. So again, the chronic suicidality probably saved my life in that instance as well. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's such an incredible thing when somebody who lives with, with this, that if you talk to, you know, say a, a psychiatrist or a therapist or whoever, and they say, well, you know, you shouldn't do this anymore. You know, we can't do that. Actually forcing them to take it off the table might be the thing that, that, that just could put them over the edge. Right. That is correct. And um, with suicidality, it's, it, it's the kind of thing you you could tell someone has chronic suicidality. This is the question I always ask. Have you ever been driving down the road, looked up, seen a bridge abutment in the distance and think to yourself, you just turn the wheel a little bit, you'd slam into the bridge abutment and it would all be over. And, and if they nod, yes, there's a better than even chance they've got chronic suicidality because you have, your mind just tosses these things up, you know, at random. And the, my next Ted talk, I'm going to try to work in, the protocol for people who, who are depressed and having thoughts of suicide. Um, maybe you know this, Matt. If somebody, you think somebody's having thoughts of suicide, uh, chances are they are, so ask. Ask them, are you having thoughts of suicide? If they say yes, uh, do you have a plan? If they say yes, what is your plan? And if it's detailed, that's very dangerous. Now, when they stop with the questions right there, I think they should ask another question for people like me 
who always have suicide on the mind all the time, are you going to kill yourself? And I would say, no, why would I kill myself? Well, you were thinking about suicide. Well, yeah, but that's the way, I, that's just the way I'm wired. And the next question should be, if they say, I'm not going to kill myself, you end on a positive note by asking, okay, then tell me why not. And you guys have heard my story. You've heard my why not. I yeah. think people would feel more comfortable giving thoughts to thoughts of depression or depression thoughts of suicide if they knew they wouldn't perhaps get locked down for three days for giving voice to those feelings. Because a lot of people don't come forward and, and talk about that because they're afraid that they'll be, you know, the police will come and they'll put them in a, in a psychiatric facility for three days without their belt and shoestrings. But if we could talk about it, you know, out loud, I believe we would lower the suicide rate and, and, and you know, by giving people permission to, to, to voice those feelings without recrimination. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I've seen that, you know, um, that people, when they do, they have spoken up, you know, and mentioned that they were having suicidal, suicidal thoughts or they occasionally had suicidal thoughts, you know, friends and family would get freaked out and they'd be like, well, we should call the helpline. We, you know, maybe you should go into a hospital. Maybe you should check yourself in, you know, and, um, you know, I've been suicidal myself and I've attempted it several times in, in the past, you know, and I remember like in recent years, I would just tell people that I've had those thoughts and they reacted the same way. People don't really understand that you can have a suicidal thought without, you know, the intent to actually take action on it. Now, on the ground level, how would you say that, you know, somebody would start having this conversation with their loved ones, with their friends or family? Well, it is difficult. Um, a friend of mm -hmm. mine and a, and a coaching, a TEDx coaching client of mine did a TED talk on coming out to your friends and family as depressed or mentally ill, which has one stigma, and suicidal, which has an additional stigma. And, you know, it's, it's I think she sat down or a friend of her sat down to talk to her folks about it. And, you know, something important I got to tell you. And then reveals they're mentally ill and suicidal. And the parents are like, oh, God, I was hoping you were gay. <laughs> it would have been easier for them if she was just gay. Uh, it is a difficult conversation to have. I, I tell I tell people a good way to start is, let's say I have a really bad day, thoughts of suicide, but not to the point where you would call the lifeline, you know, the suicide prevention lifeline or, or the uh, text line 741-741. I recommend to my audiences, you call a crazy person because we are less likely to be judgmental. We're not going to do with this, what they say in the mental health business. We're not going to should all over you. You should do this and you should do that. You should try fish oil. We're just going to co-sign your BS. Just listen. I tell neuronormal people that. If you, if you live with somebody or love somebody who's depressed, just they always ask, what should I say? Don't say anything. Just listen. So I think I would have a conversation with somebody who is mentally ill first and then broach it with friends and family. And I would begin the conversation by saying, look, I'm not going to kill myself. But I do want to talk, I'll tell you, you know, discuss with you the thoughts I have on occasion. Just want to reassure you at this moment, I'm not going to kill myself. So, you know, let them get their defenses up first and then, then reveal that you have a mental illness and you're having occasionally having thoughts of suicide. I love that advice. I think it's really, it's more, 
it's more safe, you know, and I think it allows the person to feel more comfortable and more open to be able to do so. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is excellent advice. And Frank, um, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. And it's interesting as, as, as we wrap this up here, because I know you're on a satellite phone and, we, and I, I want to respect your time. But I'll end with this, and then we'll give you a chance to tell everybody where to find you. You know, I've covered the topic, you know, uh, living with suicide and depression many times on this show, and, you know, several times since Joanne has joined. And the overarching theme that everybody, you know, that I've talked to about it has said something similar to you in that I'm not going to do it right now, but it's on the table. And it, it is that comforting thought that you mentioned as we kind of circle back a little bit of just knowing that it's on the table is what keeps them going. And I think for anybody who struggles with this, they can relate. And so I just want to echo everything you said and just, you know, kind of let everybody know that the stuff that Frank is saying, it's, it's so spot on. And if you know somebody who is struggling with this, or if you have, you know that, you know, this isn't just a one-off thing. This is real. This is what, you know, people who live with this every single day deal with. And it's the reason they're still here um, for all the reasons that Frank said. So, um, everything you said, Frank, is amazing. It's an honor to know you, man. And if you want to wrap up and share everybody where they can find you, that would be great. Yes, I am um, the mental health comedian, whether you're looking on, on um, Facebook. The Mental Health Comedian is my website. On Facebook, my business page is The Mental Health Comedian. Twitter is The MH Comedian. Uh, Instagram, it's The Mental Health Comedian. Do you see a pattern, The Mental Health Comedian? <laughs> Just a little bit, man. Pretty much. <laughs> I, when we go off, I'll give you my phone number, myself, or the um, show notes, cause, because I give it to the audience. I put it up on the screen in the PowerPoint. I go, look, you're having a really bad day, not suicidal, but need to talk to somebody. Call a crazy person. Here's my cell number, which people think I'm crazy for giving out. But, you know, it's it's my tribe. It's my, every, year, every year in the United States, 47,000 people die by suicide. That's one every 11 minutes. Wow. So if we can... We can see, and so if we've been talking 30 minutes, chances are there are three people who've died by suicide in the U.S., you know, since we've been talking. So it's, I, I think it's worth taking a few phone calls. Needed. Very, very needed. Yes. Yeah, it is. It absolutely. It's a conversation that you are helping to start in, you know, on on your comedy routines and and in your speaking and in your coaching and everything. So, uh, thanks again, man. This has been amazing. I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule to join us. So, um, everybody, be sure to check out the website. I'll link it in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, man. It's been great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should supersede the direction of a medical doctor or any mental health professional. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it. Also, please consider sharing this episode with someone who may find it helpful. If you would like more information on working with Matt as your coach, just head over to beyondyourpast.com and schedule your free one-hour chat. If you'd like to learn more about working with Joanne as your coach, please check out joannesuppressi.com and contact her for more information. We're always on the lookout for new guests. If you're interested in joining us on an upcoming episode, just head over to beyondyourpastradio.com and contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon.